Hello! And a happy new year from another Tales from the Ruther Library, a podcast created in the Ruther Library on the campus of Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. I am Dan Galadner, your host, with the ever-sassy Troy Eller English. <laughs> Troy, how was your New Year's? Oh, it was delightful. I ate lots of cookies. Cookies? And pie and... And? Cake. You drunk it down with what? Water. <laughs> really? You celebrated New Year's Eve with water. Milk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. On this episode, we are talking with our amazing airline pilots archivist and sound music guru, Bart Bilmer. Bart has digitized some tunes from our folklore archive, and we talk not all about the digitizing process, but who we digitized. He digitized two blues legends, Sippy Wallace and Son House. So he'll give us some important bio information about these people, and we're going to play the clips from the digitizing he did. Now... I call Bart our musical guru because he created our music for the show. Troy? Just in case you guys forgot what our intro and outro was. <laughs> and music guru because not only does he know music very well, but he's on the board of the Detroit Sound Conservancy. Since 2012, the DSC has created programs and provided leadership in the preservation of the music heritage of Detroit and I'm not really talking about uh, Motown or the garage bands, but the sounds of jazz, blues, funk, soul, as well as a good mix of disco and techno. They not only have thousands of artifacts, records, recordings, manuscripts, and oral histories, but they have also preserved iconic items. So any of you Detroiters who remembers the, uh, the Club Heaven, they have the sound system. And what I really like is that they have the Bluebird in stage, the actual stage they preserved. And for a limited time only, it's actually in the Ruther Atrium right now as we speak. And on January 23rd, the stage will be bouncing again. That's right. We're going to have a concert in the Ruther Library, January 23rd at 6 p.m. Uh, we have lined up, um, well, actually Bart lined up, uh, the sounds from Melvin Davis, he is Detroit's soul ambassador, and he has played with Smokey Robinson and Wayne Kramer and has a huge catalog of Detroit sound, uh, soul sound. And Dennis Coffey, who was a member of the legendary Funk Brothers, the house band from Motown. And he had a hit uh, called Scorpio back in the early 70s that went up to number six on the Billboard Top 100 and is the master of funk. So, folks, if you are in town visiting, come on to the Ruther. If you live here, you have no excuse, but get down to the Ruther Library, January 23rd, 6 p.m. The doors open to check out a celebration of Detroit's sonic history. Okay. Hi, Bart. Hi, Dan. Welcome back to the chair. Thank you, sir. I missed you. Oh, I missed you too. Yeah. So, so I always like you know your 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 stories for us. And today we're going to listen to um, some audios that you digitized, um, and a while back with the folklore archive. Yes. Now, for our listeners out there and newbies who are listening, could you explain what the folklore archive is here at the Ruther Library? Sure. The folklore archive was established in 1939 by Wayne State English professors and contains the oldest and largest collection of urban folk traditions in the U.S. Uh, now, for the most part, the collection contains transcripts of oral histories that were conducted by Wayne State students. But as you said, we're going to be talking about actual recordings, and they weren't recorded by Wayne students, though they were donated by someone involved with a Wayne organization. Okay. 
And that's the, the nuts of it. So you were poking around this collection, and you came across a recording of Sippy Wallace. Right. Who is she, and what did she do that was so famous, or why do you want to record it? Well, or digitize it, sorry. Yeah, Sippy Wallace was an early blues singer, and she was also a songwriter, uh, recognizing the importance of royalties, mm-hmm. and that that was a source of income. She was raised in the South, but uh, she made her way north around 1923, uh, first to Chicago, where she was uh, hooked up with OK Records, a notable label that issued a number of her recordings, both solo and other performers, including Louis Armstrong. Uh, she stopped recording around the time she moved to Detroit in 1929 and got involved in her church singing and playing organ uh, for decades. And yeah, she's just a notable early blues singer, and she sang songs from a female uh, perspective, from a, a strong female perspective, and she had a powerful voice, but she could also sing uh, softer songs as well. And she played with some pretty cool people, too, like Louis she, Armstrong and yeah, Cindy sure. Bechet. That was very impressive. For the 1920s, for a woman from down south coming around. And she did the tent tours, as they called them, I think. Right, yeah. And she, and she talks a lot about those those tent tour shows on the the interview portion of the of the recording. Okay. And so she came up to Detroit, stopped singing the blues, was more gospel, um, working with her church. And then, of course, we have the 1960s with the blues revival. And she's got – is she rediscovered? Um, or did she jump back in after discovering the blues was being – um, played again? She is. She's rediscovered and she's brought uh, back out of retirement. Now, it's interesting because her friend, Victoria Spivey, another blues singer from the 20s, is credited with bringing her out of retirement. And during the interview, uh, on this interview on the, in the Folklore Archive, they don't talk about her at all as being uh, someone who brought her out of retirement. It mostly seems to be this person who's interviewing her, who I'm not exactly sure who it is. It seems to be her her manager, like it seems to be a new manager of hers. Um, and uh, she does sing a Victoria Spivey song, which we'll talk about in a moment. But at no point does she say, oh, she's the one who convinced me to mm, okay. bring me out of retirement. So that sort of maybe uh, throws that conventional wisdom out the window a bit. At least, I mean, she doesn't confirm it at all in the in the actual uh, interview. Right. So, so what are the cli- what's the clip we're going to listen to? So, yeah, it's her singing a Victoria Spivey song called TB Blues, and I can't find any evidence of her singing the song anywhere else. It's her at the piano. It's part of uh, an hour's worth of recordings. It's um, seems to be done as a kind of a demo recording between her and this manager person uh, just to get a sense of, of what her material is or what could be played in a live setting. Um, they've got some shows lined up. They talk about those shows during the interview. Um, and there's also some, some just dubs of her uh, her audio, her, her actual recordings from the 20s are on there as well. So it's a mix of live recordings of her at the piano and, and just these dubs of her uh, 78s. But she's in really strong voice. This is from, let me see, October of 1965, uh, her singing Victoria Spivey's uh, TB Blues. Too late, too late, too late, too late. 
way to Denver And mama mustn't hesitate TV's on right to hell If your friends didn't treat you so to hell if your friends didn't treat you so awesome she definitely has an incredible voice for her age for now sure. we're gonna move into the next uh, recording that you digitized and that is from a man named Sunhouse. um he was more of a delta blues performer and quite the performer so who is yeah. this guy well Sunhouse is uh a, like you said a delta blues singer and guitarist uh he didn't pick up the guitar until his mid-20s he was a teen preacher and he worked a variety of odd jobs and, uh, again, picked up the guitar in his mid-20s, which was also in the mid-1920s. And uh, he was kind of a sideman at first. He played with uh, uh, Charlie Patton, who uh, is another famous uh, Delta Blues singer and guitarist, and a couple of other guys. And then he recorded solo for Paramount in uh, 1930. And he did uh, – well, Alan Lomax recorded – uh, some field recordings of him uh, in the early 1940s for the Library of Congress. And then he basically disappeared for, for decades until he was found in New York in 1964. So along with the blues revival again, here's another yeah. artist coming out of that. So some people discovered him. Yeah. Uh, what From there, what, what did he do? Do the, do the circuit, played festivals and stuff? Exactly. Yeah, he did that. He did all of that. But he he needed he needed a little bit of help first. He hadn't played guitar in some time, so so someone like taught him how to play guitar. Yeah, a couple of guys, including a future guitarist from uh, Canned Heat. Uh, I believe his name is it Alan Wilson. Yep. Is that his name? Yeah. So he helped him and uh, uh, 
alcohol reportedly played a role too in uh, helping him whip him back into shape. That's so but then but then he was good to go and yeah he he went all over he toured all over the place and uh, he was a little bit ahead of the curve of Sippy as far as of uh, of that. So by '65 he was already he was already touring and and uh, so the interview is uh, from April of 1965. It's a radio interview that we have in the Folklore Archive. And he's actually promoting a concert that was taking place that night, April 18th, 1965, uh, on Wayne State's campus at DeRoy Auditorium. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So let's listen to his interview. Well, do you want to listen to the whole thing? It's um, 22 minutes long, 22 Dan. minutes? All right, give us a summation <laughs> a little bit of what we're going to hear. Well, there's a very cool clip where he's talking about um, someone named Robert, and he's... Um, going on for a few minutes about this guy who uh, didn't know how to play guitar, but he would come see him and Charlie Patton and others play play guitar, and he would sneak out. He was a little bit younger than them, sneak out of his house and come see them play. And every time he picks it up, they would say, oh, no, put that thing down. You don't know what you're doing. You're terrible. And eventually he went away for a while, this Robert, and came back and there with a guitar strapped to his back, and they were like, well, show us what you got. And he kind of blew them away with his abilities and um, eventually uh, Sunhouse's manager comes on during this interview and says, by the way, this Robert that Sun is talking about is Robert Johnson. No. So it's, yes, it's a pretty great little segment. So uh, it goes on for a couple of minutes, but it's worth listening to the whole thing. So All right, let's listen to it. For the people who don't know, who were the boys you were with originally? Um, Charlie Patton, Willie Brown, Louise Johnson. And uh, well, Robert, he didn't, he didn't never play with us too, too much because directly after he liked, I think he played one night, and we was playing out to a place to call Banks, Mississippi, and uh, fortunately he just walked in with a guitar on his back. Me and Willie had never saw him play before. In mm-hmm. fact, as a business, he couldn't play, and when he'd be where we was, and quick as we set the guitar down for a rest. He would grab it and he'd go to driving the people nuts, you know. <laughs> I said, why don't you go in there and stop it? <laughs> so he'd do that once in a while, but yet and still every time he got a chance, he'd try to bam on the guitar. Mm-hmm. So he ran away from home. He didn't like too much of work, you know. His father was a farmer out on the man's plantation by Mr. Richard Leverman. And he'd get out the window after the old people get in the bed and go to sleep if it's on Saturday night, biggest time we'd play for the balls. And he'd climb out the window and come where we was anyway while his parents were asleep. But he just wanted to watch us, you know, making the music and he'd go from one hand to the other and watching it. And I said, don't ever do that. I said, Robert, you can blow your harmonica. I said, you can blow pretty good. I said, but you run the people nuts when you do that. They don't want to hear that stuff you're doing. So when he came in, he ran away and he, he was gone about six months. And then when he did come back, he come back with this guitar on his back. And he had uh, seven strings on it. And I hunched Willie when he was coming through the crowd. I said, Willie, I said, look, look who's coming in with a guitar on his back. And he looked, he says, yeah, little Robert. I says, okay, let's see what happened. So he comes on and over and he spokes and we shakes a hand. I says, boy, what are you doing that thing? Noising people again? He said, well, I tell you what to do. So let me have your seat for a minute too while y'all cool off some. I says, all right, I better hear something, no noise. Okay, all right. 
And we, I got up and let him have my seat, and he started playing. We started on the outside for a cool off, but it went to sounding so good before we could get out. Then I turned around, I said, uh oh, let's go back and hear this. I said, listen to this boy, will you? <laughs> so he was, he done all right. So I didn't get to see him no more than in a good while. He came back through and visited his parents, and from that he went on down the, to Greenwood, Mississippi. Well, he, he did some, that was after he'd done the recordings, so mm -hmm. that was insane. Then he went down to Greenwood. So that's the last time I saw him, and I heard, well, we heard three different stories about him, you know. Some say he got killed with a, a woman, stabbed him with a knife, and then uh, some say he was shot, and oh, three different stories, and it just, just didn't actually get the real thing where he got killed. For uh, real. I might uh, add here that while we have been, uh, son's been talking about the past few minutes about Robert, without any mention of a last name, this is the great Robert Johnson. So that was very cool. Very interesting story. Folklore, might yeah, I say. Yeah, exactly. You know? So uh, both these performers um, moved to Detroit and yeah. they ended their careers here in Detroit. Guess you could say that. Um, Sippy was here when she moved here in '29. She never left. Right. And she actually died on her 88th birthday in 1986 in Detroit. And Son moved here in 1976 to be close with his family. And he died within a couple of years of Sippy as well, also in the city of Detroit. So the recording was done with Son because he was here to perform on Wayne State's campus. That's right. That was a great opportunity. And Sippy was – where was the recording done? It was done at her house in Detroit within a couple of miles of actually where we're sitting right now. Very cool. Now, I have a big question for you. Yes. There's a big stage sitting down in their atrium. Not a big stage. It's a little stage. But it's a stage. Yeah. What's going on? What's happening here? So right now here at the Ruther, we have the Bluebird Inn's stage. The Bluebird Inn w was a legendary or is a legendary a Detroit jazz club that had its heyday in the 1950s when it was the place to be. Um, if you wanted to see a jazz show in Detroit, Miles Davis played there. John Coltrane did, amongst many others. And uh, the Detroit Sound Conservancy, an organi organization I am a part of, uh, salvaged the stage and restored it. And it's currently on display in our atrium here at the Ruther Library. And on January 23rd, we are going to be having an event here we'll, where we'll have a couple of performers play on the stage. Funk brother Dennis Coffey and Melvin Davis, uh, Detroit's sole ambassador. He just has an incredible history. Uh, I feel like I could go on for many minutes about uh, Melvin. He started recording in the early 60s, he recorded for a number of local labels. He also wrote for others. Uh, he played drums for Smokey Robinson the Miracles. That's him playing on Tears of a Clown. He played with funk brother Dennis Coffey, playing drums with him for a while. He played uh, in a band with Wayne Kramer. He sang on a song by a group called Eighth Day that was a million seller in the early 70s. Uh, He's a phenomenal storyteller, uh, all-around great guy, a gentleman. He's just a, he's, he's somebody you really want to come out and see. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Thanks, Bart. Thank you, Dan. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>
Tales from the Ruther Library is a production of the Walter P. Ruther Library of Labor and Urban Affairs at Wayne State University, coming to you from the heart of the Cultural Center of Detroit, Michigan. The producers of Tales from the Ruther Library are Dan Glogner and Troy Eller-English. Special assistance from the Ruther Podcast Collective, including Bart Bilmer, Elizabeth Clemens, Megan Courtney, and Paul Neerink. Of course, this podcast could not be done without the research and the support of the entire Ruther Library staff. To learn more about the Ruther Library, or if you have any questions, please visit our website at www.ruther.wayne.edu. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye, Dan. Goodbye, Dan. Why couldn't the toilet paper cross the road? I don't know, Dan, why? You got stuck in a crack. <laughs> how did I not know that one? <laughs> My middle school brain is like telling me, like, how could you not know? Also, that's a dad joke, too. Yeah. Are we done? Are we at? Is it our system, Wait. though? Oh, okay. We haven't started. I was that, was the say, intro. that was the intro. Like, that's that was what it. I was waiting around for. <laughs> That was it. All right. Good night, folks. Oh, Troy's like, oh, my God, I can't deal with it today. I should have taken you up on that coffee offer. Why am I still here? Jesus Christ Superstar? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Avita? I've seen it, yeah. Okay, yeah. Cats? Yeah. Uh, Starlight Express was the roller skate as well. Okay. Uh, I'm just doing the highlight ones. Phantom... Sunset Boulevard, mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz, you redid for Broadway, School of Rock, you redid. Okay? Those all sound terrible. No, they don't. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Superstar. Yeah, I just don't like his music. Like It's too campy. It's too Over overdone. Yeah, overproduced. Over and I love me a good musical. Yes, you But do. it's just... When you ask someone if they like musicals, they go, oh, I can't stand it. And usually it's because of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah.